Welcome to Cambridge House. I am your host, Leanna Hawkins, and today I am pleased to be joined by Britton Hill. He is the president at Weber Global, and he is a markets and venture capital expert, as well as a big supporter of financial literacy, which obviously I am a huge fan of. Welcome, Britton. Hey, thank you, Leanna, for having me. Of course, it's great to have you here. Um, I know that you have amassed a very impressive resume as a young professional in finance. For those that don't know you or your background, could you tell us some of your biggest accomplishments and how you got to this stage in your career? Sure. Well, uh, biggest accomplishment right now I'm working on is our wealth management firm, Weber Global Management, as well as my other funds that I'm managing. Uh, I, I got into this, started investing as a kid. Uh, very lucky. Seven years old, I started buying silver coins in 2002. Not because I knew what I was doing, but because I saw my dad had some. I thought they looked cool like treasure. So they were only three or four bucks a coin at the time. And he would take me down to the coin shop every Saturday. I'd buy those coins. I did that for years. When I turned 16, I started reading a newsletter called the Weber Global Opportunities Report written by Chris Weber. He's a fantastic investor. And he started investing when he was 16 as well. So that's why my dad gave it to me. And it just so happened the timing worked out that I turned 16 in 2011, which is when silver was peaking at near $50 an ounce. And Chris said to start selling your silver in April of 2011 when it was about $46 an ounce. So I took all this silver, had a couple thousand ounces. I ended up selling it and made a lot of money as a 16-year-old. And that's when my investing journey kicked off um, into my late teens and early 20s. Then I, I transitioned into the brokerage space. And at that point, I wrote Chris just a thank you note. I just wanted to say thank you so much for writing about investing. You inspired me as a kid. Because of you, I'm financially free. I'm, I'm doing what I love. And I, I want to keep doing this for the rest of my life. And he and I ended up hitting it off. And over the course of a few months, we formed a partnership that's done really well. And I'm, I'm really quite enjoying the career that I've built. But um, like you said, in addition to investing in wealth management, I do have this passion for financial literacy and especially helping uh, younger people, you know, millennials, Gen Zs, and younger professionals who are just starting their careers with high incomes, start preparing to uh, get to a point where they're financially free and, and have, have sufficient means. Because uh, as you and I were talking earlier, a lot of people that are making a lot of money um, they, they have a lifestyle creep where they tend to, even though they're making extra money, they have money to save, they just start spending it. So the, the helping people develop those good habits is important. Yeah. The, the habits of financial literacy really is the most important thing. And, you know, we were saying about how I, I live in New York city, obviously the lifestyle creep and the keeping up with the Joneses in Manhattan is just the, the wildest I've ever seen. It. And I'm someone that's lived in five different countries in my twenties and worked in, in tons of different um, spaces. So I want to ask you a little bit later on, I'm going to ask you some of your top picks for investing for Gen Z's, young people, but also just any other kind of investors that are interested in the spaces that you work in. But first, I want you to tell me a little bit more about um, you, you manage a VC fund. You also just recently launched a real estate debt fund at Providence. So I kind of want to know what some of the catalysts were for launching that fund and, and what both of those funds are looking like now. Sure. Um, so obviously, I have a venture capital fund. For that, I focus mostly on late stage tech. Um, the late stage market up until this year it had been doing very well. We're, you're getting quick IPOs at good valuations. And I, I saw it as you know, market risk was developing and starting to progress, especially as we got high amounts of debt, low interest rates. Um, it looked like inflation was on the radar. So I wanted to focus more on late stage because those companies are already multi-billion dollar companies. So in the event of 
uh, a market pullback or the circumstances like we're seeing now, those companies have sufficient capital to weather it on their own and um, they, they'll pay off later. So we invested in uh, Kraken, for example, the major crypto exchange, Indigo AG, they're an agriculture AI company. Uh, those are our two largest investments within the fund. And I think they'll continue to do well, fortunately, because I don't think crypto is going anywhere and the exchanges make money, whether crypto goes up or down. Um, and then with Indigo, uh, call it luck, but uh, it's due to unfortunate circumstances. But, you know, with this whole Russia-Ukraine issue, there's massive food shortages because Ukraine is considered the breadbasket of Europe in that area. And with Indigo AI or Indigo AG, they use AI to increase crop yield and output. And so I, I think that they'll still continue to do well um, in this, I guess, volatile and challenging market that we have right now. Wow. But I, actually, for, I hadn't even heard of people using AI in agriculture. Yeah, it, it's really cool. And this is why I like a lot of the new emerging technologies, because what they do is they study the microbiome in the soil. And by using their AI, they can actually just kind of adjust the microbiologies and, and water with and it, what it does is it dramatically improves the efficiency so rather than just looking at a plant as a farmer and watering it you actually can monitor things with computers and that that makes it so that you know if, if they don't need water maybe they just need a tiny bit more fertilizer or you know maybe they they deem less water and so that monitoring it, it dramatically improves the crop yields while reducing waste waste like water fertilizers and things like that so i love their product it's good for the environment and it actually works Wow, super interesting. And uh, and your real estate, your debt fund, tell us about that. So that came by popular demand from a lot of my clients. We live in a world of 0% interest rates. And a lot of people want, especially retirees who have built up this nest egg, they want to take some of their money out of the stock markets and earn income. But it's difficult because there's not very many income producing assets. So it took a lot of time. But I finally identified an area where I think that there is very good yield and reasonable downside protection. And that is first deed lending to real estate contractors. And so what first deed lending is, is I am the first mortgage, I'm the first lien on the mortgage. So if they default, I get to reclaim the property and I'm lending to them on short-term agreements. So anywhere from three months to a year, it's bridge capital. So these are developers that are short on cash or they don't have cash and they're competing with cash buyers. And by the time they go to a bank, uh, the property's already gone because you know banks take anywhere from 30 to 60 days usually um, to get financing secured unless you're a massive contractor that has lines of credit, which most don't. So these contractors are willing to borrow at anywhere from 10 to 20% interest rates, again, all secured by the underlying property. And it's usually a, a single family or multifamily type project I'm loaning to. Uh, at least here in Utah, uh, real estate is a very geographical type of investment. It depends on where you are. So I, I don't know if it's going to be the same for somebody living in New York or Vancouver or, or Tennessee. And, and uh, you know, but for in Utah, I feel I feel confident that the market is is still strong. It will remain strong for at least a couple more years. And so that's why I launched this fund because we're able to give our clients anywhere from. Uh, we don't have official performance, so I don't know where we'll land. But based on the notes that we're placing, it's looking like we can hit ten to twelve percent net of fees um, to our clients within this fund. And so that that gets me really excited because it'll help some of our clients de-risk from the volatile stock markets and have some income as opposed to having to rely solely on capital appreciation. Right. And is that funded accredited product for accredited investors? Yes. 
Okay. Just to be clear. Um, and I know that obviously, you know, the credit space has been very hot with interest rates being so low. Um, now we're seeing that creep up a little bit. And obviously, you know, the Fed announcements about interest rates changing. We're also seeing a highly inflationary environment over 7%. Do you have any fears around those interest rate changes and our, our high level of inflation currently with things that you're working on and also in the public markets in general? Um, I mean, personally, I, my biggest fear is stagnation and invisible wealth destruction, because what you see historically with inflation is a lot of volatility with very little direction. So if you look at the sixties and seventies, which is the last time we really had inflation within the U S the stock markets are just swing, 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 swing. I mean, immense rallies and crashes and, and just highly intense, but there's almost zero direction. Mm -hmm. But over the course of those, those decades, you had inflation at anywhere from seven to 10 to 15%, depending on, you know, what industry and, and, and what country you're in, because it was global um, all the while. So if, if your investments are flat, but inflation is rocketing uh, an unsophisticated investor and somebody who just doesn't really know what they're looking at would look and say, Oh, you know, I haven't really lost that much money. My, my account's flat, my account's stable. But then when you factor in inflation has been seven to eight percent a year for the past five years, well, then in real terms, you've lost almost half of your entire investment. And so that's my biggest concern is that, you know, even though the markets aren't really crashing, you're losing a lot more than you think you are. And so I, I think investors really need to be wary of that and and keep that in mind that there's invisible wealth destruction happening right now. And it's due to the purchasing power falling. Yeah. And that's, that is an important financial literacy lesson for people that don't understand the implications and consequences of high inflation day to day in, in a family's net worth and that purchasing power. Yep, exactly. And inflation, inflation is scary. Um, I, I honestly, I, I kind of have a different opinion uh, on inflation and who's going to be harmed the most because a, a lot of my friends who are millennials, they're, they're complaining and saying, you know, the future gen, the, the generations of the past have just destroyed our future. They've ruined things for us. You know, we're, we're we have mountains of debt. This we don't have any money and we can't afford inflation. And the, the thing is, is inflation is called the wealth destroyer. And the, the fact of the matter is millennials don't have a lot of wealth yet. We're starting to accumulate wealth. We're kind of in that wealth accumulation phase. We're transitioning into that. But I think that the real people who are going to get hurt by this are the retirees or the 50 year olds who are getting ready to retire the 50, mm -hmm. 60, 70, 80 year olds who have money invested because their investments are going to stagnate those sideways and their, their fixed purchasing power, which is based on their investments. Um, it's going to fall dramatically where, you know, what this is going to do for people my age is going to cause a, it's going to, it's going to give us a blank slate pretty much where if you look after the 70s and 1980s and inflation started falling and interest rates started falling and it created a 40 year boom. And I think that that's what the future is for millennials. So those who can keep working, um, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun, but we'll get through it. And it's going to create an opportunity to accumulate a lot of wealth because we still have a lot of years ahead of us to earn, to save and to invest. Yeah. And that's a really good point is that yes, out of recessions and inflation and 
um, interest rates rising do come opportunities for really long-term investors. But we are facing a lot of things in the world that are creating a difficult environment right now for people to find returns and opportunities and income, as you know, we talked about earlier with the debt fund that you have at Providence. So where do you see opportunities for investors, maybe in the longer term and in the shorter term? Because I think, yeah, the next one to three years, people are really confused about what to do with their dry powder and you know the cash on the sidelines they have right now. Yes. Uh, first thing I would absolutely do is sell all long-term bonds. Anybody that's in bonds right now, it is a guaranteed losing proposition because your bonds are more than likely not paying more than 3 to 4%. Well, inflation is the last figures were 7.9% within the US. I think we're going to get new data this next week. I could see it easily being double digits because the last figures didn't account for the massive increase in food and gas prices in, across the globe due to this Russia conflict. So I'm anticipating we could see you know, 10, 11, 12% inflationary figures for the month of, of March uh, going into April. Um, and, and with that, you know, your bonds are guaranteed losing propositions. So get out of the things that are at least a guaranteed losing proposition because your other risk there is as interest rates rise, the face value of your bonds are going to fall dramatically. So get out of bonds. Um, and I would move into more inflationary hedges, uh, things like gold, silver, commodities. Uh, there's even some good wheat and corn funds. Again, I'm bullish on food right now because I think food prices are going to go up with a lot of the world's major food producers being, being at war. Um, so commodities, I, I'm not necessarily saying throw your whole portfolio into commodities, but the other thing, and I know this isn't really a popular opinion during inflationary times, but I'm not hundred percent against raising the amount of cash you have if you're anxious, because I'm of the opinion, it's better to lose 7.9% a year than to lose 7.9% a month trading in and out of a volatile stock market at high emotions. And during a time where there's just no direction, but again, a lot of movement. So, um, but areas I like short term and in, in the over the next one to three years are certainly commodities. I do not like bonds. Um, the only debt instruments I like are short term debt instruments, like the ones that we're lending to to these developers, because at ten to fifteen percent interest on average, um, sometimes we'll get as high as twenty percent, but on ten to fifteen percent interest on average, even if the inflation rate goes from seven to ten percent. In real terms, I'm still making 5%. And let's say the inflation rate goes up to 15%. Well, this note pays off in three months. And then I can replace that money at a higher interest rate. So uh, only do short-term debt, uh, get some commodities. But you know, long-term, long-term, I'm bullish on businesses. These cycles, they come and they go. And it, it'll cause a, a credit contraction. So there, there will be some bankruptcies. There will be some... A restructuring of debt, bad businesses will fail, and it's gonna it's gonna harm some people's savings. But the good companies will survive, and I think that good areas like technology. I mean, we're always looking to advance our futures. We're always looking to do things better and smarter, and find new ways and, and more efficient ways of doing things. So I, I like tech. I, I think that tech has a great future ahead of it. Uh, companies like, for example, Procter & Gamble that produce anything from Colgate to diapers. I, I don't think that's going to go out of style. I'm still brushing my teeth, even though there's inflation. And I know babies still need diapers. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> a good thing, Brenton. That's a really yeah, good thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to stop brushing my <laughs> consumer teeth. Consumer staples. <laughs> exactly. So consumer staples. Uh, love those companies. So there's still a lot of, a lot of good areas. But the thing is, is 
during cycles like these, they can cause mass market sell-offs. And it's not due to any poor fundamentals of the underlying company. It's more due to a lot of these investors got over leveraged and they're going to sell the most liquid assets first, which are stocks. And so you could have a good company that gets sold off with the rest of the bad companies just simply because people need the money. So that's something to be wary of. But yeah, um, just be more defensive now, I guess, is the is the moral of the story than you have been in the past and avoid bonds because that's just a guaranteed losing proposition. Yeah, really avoid making any of those long-term decisions and lockups now because things can change really quickly and we're seeing a lot of volatility. And I think also a really good point, which was sort of just a side note that you made, but for people like young investors, maybe that aren't as experienced with taking losses or seeing these waves right out in our economy and economic factors alongside the stock markets is that sometimes you're going to win and sometimes you're going to lose. And chasing a market is never a good idea. I think a lot of people learn that at the beginning of this year with the, the fall down of a lot of the growth stocks and a lot of the tech that were just killing it during COVID and during our pandemic. And now sort of coming out of that, those valuations were not as attractive. And a lot of those sold out, sold off very heavily at the beginning of this year. And some young people, I think, or, or newer investors really learn that lesson that those valuations don't necessarily stay like that forever in growth investing and something to just be aware of. So alongside that, I think my last question I'm going to ask you, which ties into what I just said is, for any newer investors or maybe college students, someone that's younger and, and really interested in what you do and having financial freedom, having that flexible lifestyle and you know the income to support their personal interests and their family and, and things that they um, want to be supportive of, what advice would you give them being a young person that's been very successful in finance and investing? Um, it, it's just the cliche stuff. You know, the biggest thing that I'm finding my friends don't know is most people know how much they make, but very few people know how much they are spending and where it's going. I mean, you know, you're running out of money, but do you really know where it's going? And, you know, you find out you're spending 500 bucks a month on DoorDash or, you know, things like that. And it's just, it just slips out the door. So, uh, the biggest thing I would be wary of is figure out actually how much you're spending and where that money's going, because you're going to find out that you're you're blowing a lot of money in most cases on just areas that you don't necessarily need to be. And even just a little bit of cutting back there or being more aware of it can generate extra savings on the side. So I'm always a fan of try to save a little bit more, uh, obviously pay down some debt, especially if we're going into economic hard times, have as little overhead as you possibly can right now. Um, within reason, because I know that, you know, it's hard to just go and write a check to pay off your car today, but try to try to get, try to get your debt down. And then also one of the most valuable things that I have found at least now in trying to start new businesses is how difficult, and I guess it's, it's not necessarily, maybe calling it a valuable thing isn't the word, but, um, one of the most interesting things I found is how difficult it is to find good people. Now, I know there are a lot of good people out there that can work really hard and, and that are capable and confident, but they're difficult to find. And so it, it sounds very cliche, but go that extra mile. Demonstrate that you're a good person. And I promise you that the people that are above you that are trying to grow and expand and have this vision, they will recognize your values. They will recognize your drive and they will recognize that it aligns with their vision and it will put you in a much better position. And you can even be so bold as to go up and tell them, tell them that, listen, I have drive. 
I, I want to be a part of this. I, I want to keep working hard on this and I want to work with you and I want, I want more. And chances are they'll recognize that and they'll give you more. I mean, I have, I had somebody approach me not too long ago and tell me like, I really want to work with you. I, I, I am passionate about what you're doing and please let me be a part of it. And it was like, done. I've been looking for somebody who was, who got it just like you were. And you know, he's, he's going to get a job here. And it's similar to what I did with my business partner, just by saying, Hey, thank you. I love what you're doing. Let me know if there's ever an opportunity for more here. And it, it resulted in a, in a great partnership. So I think that that's, that's maybe a big thing that millennials are timid of is going and asking for more, but recognizing that we do have labor shortages across the nation. And those labor shortages are a result of just not being able to find good labor. So if you're willing to work hard, make that known and it'll, it'll benefit you in, in higher income and more opportunity. Absolutely. Show, show your worth, invest in your relationships and invest in yourself. Read, learn as much as you can. And yeah, really showing that enthusiasm by follow up, follow up, follow up. <laughs> Keep those relationships strong and always ask for opportunities and, and show your worth. And I, I love ending on that note. Britton, please tell us where our audience can find out more about you and some of the things you're working on. Sure. Uh, we're still developing the site for the Providence Fund, so there's nothing there yet. But WeberGlobal.com is our firm website. Uh, I also have a very small Instagram. I'm terrible on social media. It's just at Britton Hill. Uh, B-R-I-T-O-N, last name Hill, H-I-L-L. That's an easy one. And uh, I respond to DMs. So I, I know it's not a big page, but I am active there. You feel free to message me. I'd love to hear from you. And then uh, obviously email as well. You can find my email address on our Weber Global website. Perfect. Well, I'm going to hit you up on Instagram right after this. So <laughs> perfect. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much for your time today, Britton. Of course. Thank you. Take care. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.